Because I can tell you, if it wasn't for amazing organizations like Emerge, I wouldn't be here today in a position that I am running for governor. And, you know, hearing the same conversations about electability and, you know, having our experience, you know, question and our credentials undermined, it is truly unfortunate. And so it's about time other people acknowledge our power. And it's wonderful organizations like Emerge who help us wield it and be able to use it as a tool to be able to get in positions of power. Because in the words of former Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg, we deserve to be where all the decisions are being made. This is Sarah and Beth. You're listening to Pantsuit Politics, the home of grace-filled political conversations. everyone. Welcome to another episode of Pantsuit Politics. On today's show, we're going to share our conversation with Ashanti Golar, the president of Emerge, and Jennifer Carol Foy, an Emerge graduate and former member of the Virginia House of Delegates and current candidate for governor of Virginia about her run. In the main segment of the show, we couldn't wait to share this conversation we had with Anne Helen Peterson with all of you. We talked about child care with her for our upcoming infrastructure series this summer, but we also had a conversation where we talked about the politics of Teacher Appreciation Week, and we just had to share it with all of you. So that's in the main segment. And as always, we'll end the show by talking about what's on our mind outside of politics. As we start to jump into this episode, I just wanted to express that we are thinking about all of you living in the Gulf Coast region who have experienced dangerous flash flooding and power outages this week. There have been several deaths. And just just thinking about all of you as we get into that kind of weather and the damages that last for long periods of time after. Okay, so first up, we are going to share our conversation with Ashanti Golar and Jennifer Carol Foy. As an Emerge graduate, I am so thrilled to share this conversation with all of you with Ashanti Golar, who is the president of Emerge, which is a trainee program for Democratic women considering public office. And Jennifer Carol Foy, who we've had on the show before when she was newly elected to the Virginia House of Delegates. And now that she's running for governor, we knew we wanted to have her back on the show. And we're excited to share this conversation with all of you. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. We are special breakfast people here at Pantsu Politics, but not just when Beth and I are on the road. The truth is I want something warm from the oven every Saturday morning and Sunday morning. It's just the truth. It makes it feel special, makes it feel exciting. I don't want to work at it. So the first time I ever saw Wild Grain, which is bake from frozen subscription box for sourdough breads, fresh pastas, and artisanal pastries. I was obsessed. You guys, I've been a member for over a year. It's amazing. It's so easy. Every item bakes from frozen in 25 minutes or less. No thawing required. You can fully customize your wild grain box. You can choose any combination of breads, pastas, pastries. You can even build a box of only breads, only pastas, or only pastries if you'd like. And for a limited time, you can get $30 off the first box, plus free croissants in every box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit to start your subscription. 
Sometimes I make one single croissant just for me because I want to feel special. And they're so good. You heard me. Free croissants in every box. And $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. That's wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. Or you can use promo code pantsuit at checkout. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code PODCAST15. Jennifer, tell us about the decision to leave the House of Delegates to run for governor, because I feel like that's a little out of the ordinary. Most people just want to do all the things. And I think that your decision to prioritize is not only fascinating, but truly important for this moment in American history. Yeah, absolutely. So thank you so much. Honored to be here with you all, uh, first and foremost. And so I have to say that resigning my seat in the House of Delegates was one of the most difficult decisions I had to make. You know, I worked very hard to be able to win that seat in the first Mm -hmm. place. I was running while being pregnant with twins. I tell that story all the time. I talk about you. You're like in my, you're like in my standard play of stories. I'm like, well, let me tell you about this delegate we met in Virginia. (laughs) Yeah. You want to talk hard? Let me tell you hard. Uh Uh-huh. Yes, that's right. And then um, flipping a seat from red to blue, being outraised four to one, it was a challenge. It was very difficult. And even though I knew I'd be outraised, I knew I would never be outworked. So, mm. you know, being the voice for the people in the second district was the honor of a lifetime. We got some great things done. I was able to clean up toxic coal ash where people in my district were being poisoned from the top fossil fuel company in Virginia mm. uh, that was seeping lead, arsenic, and mercury into their well drinking water. Made Virginia 38 states to enshrine women's equality into the United States Constitution. So we got some great things done. But at the end of the day, I didn't want to have one foot in and one foot out. I mm-hmm. wanted to give everything I had to running and winning this office to become the next governor of Virginia. So it was not only tradition, because great women like Stacey Abrams did the same thing. She resigned her seat as minority leader in the state assembly right before her primary election because she knew she needed to be all in as well running as she won that primary. Um, And many other uh, people throughout the country have done the same. But I can tell you it was also the best decision for my family. You know, Mm. I'm a mom of two three-year-olds. I have a whole husband and um, (laughs) I'm still working, right? And it is all-encompassing. And I can tell you that You know, I wanted to be sure that I gave it my all because Virginians deserve it. And um, it was one of the best decisions I made because I can tell you I would not be a top two contender running for governor here in Virginia if I would not have resigned. 
Shawnee, I want to ask you, we've had the privilege of speaking with you before about Emerge's efforts to recruit women to run for office. I feel like a lot of our conversations in the past have been focused around women running as legislators. And I'm interested in your perspective on more women in the executive branch, in executive positions across the country. Yes. Well, I am so glad to be back talking to everyone. And I'm excited to talk about women in executive positions because we are recording this on the night of the first day of the union. And we're going to see our first woman of color, our first woman vice president. And that is what we're talking about when we want to have women in executive positions. But even when we talk about the trajectory of Vice President Harris, she started at the local level. And then she was at the state level, and now she's in the executive position. And for most women, that is how it goes. But we also can't negate the fact that those state and local positions are so important because that's the biggest impact on everyone's everyday lives. JCF was just so effective in the House of Delegates with what she was able to do. But this is the path. This is what we should be seeing. The fact that because we have more women running, they are running for higher office. And we Mm -hmm. talk about that at Emerge. We don't believe in that you have to bloom where you're planted. There's a lot of women who do stay in the same position and they're highly effective and we love it. But we know that they can run for higher positions and be extremely effective. And as we have more women running for higher positions, one of the things I find myself saying a lot is, we know that when women run, especially the first time, men will be like, oh, you can't win, you're not viable. And then they win and they wanna run for higher office. And then the men are like, but you're doing such a good job here. Why can't you just, you know, you got so much more to do. They continually want to hold us back wherever we are. Mm. So it makes me so happy when I see JCF running for governor, when I'm seeing our alums who are running for other executive positions. We have four alums right now that are secretaries of state, which is very important when we're talking about everything Mm -hmm. that's happening around voting rights. Again, 520,000 elected offices in this country. Women, 51% of the population, we don't hold 51% of those offices. So it has to not only be about just running at the local, we have to have these influential executive positions, especially for women of color, like JCF. I say all the time, I'm a JCF stan. I'm a Stacey Abrams stan. But if Stacey wasn't able to be the first, I want JCF to be the first. Mm -hmm. Because... This country absolutely needs Black women as governors, and I live in Virginia, and I want to have JCF not only as my governor, but the first Black woman governor in this country. Yeah, let's talk about that run for governor, because I think there's so many layers of this. I think that the first Black woman governor, so unbelievably important, your experience as as a legislator in the House of Delegates and what you accomplished there. And also, I just think you have so many components of your personal story that are relevant and engaging to people. So tell us about why you decided to run and why you think that you're the best candidate. Absolutely. I'll be happy to. So I can tell you that, you know, my race for governor didn't begin recently. It began a long time ago, Mm. growing up in Petersburg, Virginia. And Petersburg was once an affluent and uh, well-to-do, predominantly African-American community. But when businesses closed, jobs left, and despair 
crept in. Mm. And there's just so many possibilities and potentials for my hometown. But unfortunately, politicians of the past have made so many false promises and they'll Mm. come around during campaign season. But I can tell you what I've seen and what I've heard in my travels. That there are so many communities just like Petersburg all over Virginia. And we have one of the highest growing racial wealth gaps. Child poverty has increased. And some of our schools are just as underfunded and segregated today as they were in the 1950s and 60s. So while the wealthy and well-connected are doing very well in Virginia, what about everyone else? And so I've dedicated my entire life to public service as a former public defender helping poor Virginians navigate a broken criminal justice system as a foster mom for eight years and as a community organizer, registering people to vote and restoring others' rights because of a mistake that was made, no one should be relegated to second-class citizenship for the rest of their lives. And Virginia is one of only two states that does that. So I can tell you that I am in this to ensure that we move all communities in Virginia forward and not just some. Mm-hmm. And so I'll never forget, you know, at a young age, being in Petersburg and being raised by my grandparents. But my grandmother had a stroke and became a quadriplegic and having to sit at my dining room table with my aunt, trying to decide if we're going to pay for our mortgage that month or for the medications keeping my grandmother alive. That is the moment my journey for governor began. Mm-hmm. The minute I realized that so many of us have just been totally ignored and Virginians are hurting, Virginians are dying. And it's about time that we have someone who give a voice to the voiceless and stand up to four communities who have been completely discarded. And now is definitely our time. What have you learned from serving in the House of Delegates that you didn't know going in? You have all this experience in government and public service. What was surprising to you during your term? And Ashanti, I'd love to hear your kind of macro vision of that, too. What do you hear from Emerge alums once they get elected that is surprising to them as they're serving? Yeah, so I can say two things. First, when I was elected, I thought that I could just carry the most amazing bills that's going to uplift so many Virginians and it'll just pass automatically. And that is definitely Mm. not true. Being effective is about two things. It's about respect and it's about relationships. And if you don't have those two things, then you are pretty much ineffective and can't get things done. And we can get things done. Like I like to remind people that we passed Medicaid expansion, uh, giving 500,000 Virginians affordable quality health care. And that was under a Republican-controlled General Assembly. So you can get things done, but you got to know how to do it. And being one of the first women to ever graduate from Virginia Military Institute, one of the top military colleges in this country, gave me the tools I needed to teach me that my job is to get the job done, no matter if people have a D, I, or R beside their name. And so that's how I've been able to be effective as a legislator and I'll be effective as a governor as well. So I can tell you that that's one of the things I learned. And I just want to piggyback on what Ashanti said, because I can tell you if it wasn't for amazing organizations like Emerge, I wouldn't be here today in a position that I am running for governor. And, you know, hearing the same conversations about electability and, you know, having our experience, you know, question and our credentials undermined, um, it is truly unfortunate. But People believe that equality is oppression, but that's privilege mm. that they're coming from because, you know, we are over 50 percent of the population. And I tell you that we are forced to be reckoned with, you know, women, we are predominant caregivers of our parents, of our families. But we are also a huge economic driver here 
not only in the Commonwealth of Virginia, but throughout the country. And so it's about time other people acknowledge our power. And it's wonderful organizations like Emerge who help us wield it and be able to use it as a tool to be able to get in positions of power. Because in the words of former Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg, we deserve to be where all the decisions are being made. And so when that happens, that's where we're going to finally get paid family medical leave, paid sick days, $15 minimum wage, all of the wonderful things that will help women reach their full possibility and potential and lift millions of women and families effectively out of poverty. So that is also true. That's a narrative that is, you know, people are saying in, in our race by, you know, the patriarchy, but it's very clear, you know, we are not here to ask the patriarchy for permission. We're here to take what's ours. And this governorship, you know, is prime and ready to have a working mom representing working families in Virginia. Yes, to what JCF said. And I love astrology. And I was reading something earlier today about how Jupiter is in Capricorn, which is associated with the patriarchy and how oh. things are about to change. Y'all just heard it from JCF. So this is why I'm voting for her. But we're talking about a lot of the things that we hear from our alums when they do get elected into office. It is that piece that JCF talked about is really navigating things. And it's why, lots of reasons why I love Emerge. But one of the reasons why is because we do have this network of support. And with us having over a thousand alums in elected office, now when women are elected, especially the state houses, they're serving with other Emerge sisters. So they have the opportunity to work together. They have people who have been elected before them who can help them with the budgeting process, writing a bill, figuring out where the cafeteria is, Mm -hmm. the bathrooms, all of those little things and big things. But they're also there to support each other because the sexism, the racism, the misogyny, it still exists. And unfortunately, for a lot of the women, it's something that they knew would be there, but not at the level that it still is when you are equal to these men and they are still talking down to you and acting as if they're better than you, they're more accomplished. And we saw this a lot at the height of the Me Too movement. We had a lot of our alums who were coming to us saying, this has been my experience and wanting to speak out about it. But then they also had to think about backlash if they did come out and say anything. And we were very clear, if you want to talk about this, we will be there to support you. But also when you do talk about it, you're going to help other women come forward with their experiences. And we had so many of our Emerge alums who led the way on this, who were just key leaders in the Me Too movement to help us call out the sexism, the racism, the misogyny that still exists in so many political institutions. Mm -hmm. So I think that's something that we have to talk a lot about more. And it's something I personally been talking a lot about more because a lot of people think that when women, especially women of color, get into these positions, all those things go away and they don't. Mm -hmm. They're still there. And a lot of times it's tenfold, 50 fold. So we have to continue to support our women, not only when they're running, but when they're in these positions, because they're still dealing with all of those issues that they dealt with when they were running for the position. Yeah, that I've, that's definitely my experience with Emerge. I think the support after you get in the positions, 
and often in places, political places, state houses that are the last to see really dramatic change when it comes to hostile work environments. I think about that piece that was titled Congress is a hostile work environment, you know, and I think it's so true. It really is. And I also have to talk about the staff too. It's Mm -hmm. elected officials, staff gets harassed as well. So there's a lot that we have to do to change these institutions. And the biggest thing that we can do to change it is put women in charge because Mm -hmm. we know it makes a huge difference, not only with the treatment of the women, but you get things such as a breastfeeding room for moms, you get maternity leave, family leave, all these things that didn't exist before because of the men. So another reason to have women in charge. You know, as I'm thinking about Virginia and its political journey over the last few years, you know, when I lived in Washington, D.C., I moved out in 2009, Virginia was still a red state. It is not a red state anymore. It's on this journey that you're seeing, you know, that's that you're seeing other states take that are really top of mind now with the census. You're seeing a lot of states in the South and the West go on this journey as well, from red to blue. I think North Carolina is getting close, dare I say Texas. And I'm wondering both of your perspectives on seeing that journey in the state of Virginia firsthand, you know, that class that came into the House of Delegates and, you know, switch control for the first time and, and definitely women's role in that journey. You know, if you're sitting down with the graduating class of Emerge in Texas, or you're sitting down with the class in North Carolina, and they're really on the precipice of big political change, but they're also encountering, you know, some dirty tactics when we're talking about gerrymandering and we're talking about tactics in the, with regards to legislation, like what advice would you offer them? Continue to just do it. I know in 2018, we talked a lot about all of the women who got elected that year, but I point to 2017 and women like JCF who won their races in Virginia. And JCF mentioned this. If you look at the seats that were flipped, These were seats that were held by white Republican men, but the districts voted for Hillary Clinton. Mm. That tells you that they will vote for a woman, a Democratic woman, and we gave them amazing Democratic women like JCF, and they voted for them. So a lot of this is just the strategy that people do want different elected leaders. They want better elected leaders. We just have to give them to them because so many people feel that their elected leaders have failed them and they want new ones and they want authentic ones like JCF and the other women who have been elected post 2017, who truly understand their lives, their lived experience and what they're going through. So the biggest thing is those opportunities are there because the country is changing. And that is why we're seeing all of these horrible tactics, like Mm -hmm. gerrymandering, another form of voter suppression, what they're doing in Georgia, in Texas, in Michigan, another form of voter suppression. They can no longer win the right way, you know, the proper way, the honest way, really. So they have to cheat to win. Mm -hmm. And that means that they have to cheat us out of our right to vote and our right to have the elected leaders that we want to have. But the best way to fight this is, yes, it is the people speaking up, but we gotta get the elected leaders in there that won't let this happen, that will continue to fight back. 
So we're going to see it get a lot worse before it gets better. But that doesn't mean that we shouldn't have women, especially women of color, running for these seats because they can still win, even if it's by 100 votes, five votes, one vote. Every cycle, we have emerge alums who win by one vote. It really Mm. does happen. So we cannot let up. We have to continue to fight back. We can't let them win. Jennifer, you have been an enormously successful fundraiser in a crowded primary field. And I think fundraising is something that we often hear from women as a barrier to seeking higher office. I would just love to hear your sort of philosophy around fundraising. What do you think has made you so successful? And what would you tell other women who are intimidated by that component, that sort of necessary evil of asking to do public service? That's a really great question. And I would like to go back again to my merch training. I know that I was raised in a Southern Christian household. And one of the things we were taught is that you don't ask anyone for anything. You know, I could have, you know, traveled the Sahara Desert, came to, you know, a lady's house and she says, can I offer you a cup of water? And you, you respectfully and politely decline. And so this was new to me having to depend on other people to be successful in this fashion. And, you know, I feel like people care about, really care about two things, right? The most, like their kids and their money. And I'm asking you for one of them, right? And it's just like, it was so intimidating. But the thing that emerged training helped me understand was this isn't about you. It's about us. It's about everyone. It's about the principles and the values that you're fighting for. So them giving you money isn't them giving it to you for you to put in your pocket. It's to give to the, you know, the issues, to protect choice, to protect for or to have expand voting rights, to, you know, continue to fight for fully funding education. That's what they're investing in. And they know that you will be the facilitator, the conduit that's used in order to effectuate that change. And so I think that helped take me out of it and really empower me to know that in order for us to make a difference, you have to have the resources in order to make it happen. And I can tell you that, you know, it has helped me. Some of the best practices is just making sure that people know what you're fighting for and your record of success and why they need to invest in you and invest in you now. Because just like Ashanti was saying, let's be clear, you know, power begets power, right? Power Mm -hmm. never concedes without a demand. Agitate, agitate, agitate. And in order to agitate, you have to build a ground game. You have to have the infrastructure. You have to be where people are. They're on their phones, they're on social media, they're checking their mail and their email. And unfortunately, those things cost. And so in order to keep a successful campaign going and operating seamlessly and reaching the voters and sharing your positive vision, then you have to have the resources that requires, you know, that to happen. So I'm excited to say that, you know, the tools that Emerge has provided me with, that's what I've been using and utilizing, making those hard calls, making those hard asks and being relentless and dogged. Because at the beginning of training, they said, you know, we're going to have these raw, you know, conversations with you and we're going to hurt your feelings, but we need you to go out here and we need you to hit the ground running. So because you're a woman and a woman of color, let me be clear, you will be given to less and less often. Mm. And so be ready, but do not be deterred, right? So it's nothing new. We have to usually, women, this is what we do, right? We're mansplain in, in boardrooms. We are 
passed up for promotions. We are always having to explain ourselves and decisions and stuff like that. And it's just, this is just another layer because women running for office were still considered the exception and not the rule. But as we have this groundswell and more women running and winning, then people will see that, you know, when we run, we win, especially when we have, you know, wonderful um, organizations like Emerge that's backing us and giving us the tools that we need to be successful. So I can say that all of that training has helped. Having a fantastic dynamic team around me helps and knowing what's at stake and what's on the line, that we're ready to move Virginia forward and not back. This is about Virginia's future and not the past. And I know intimately what's at stake. And so that's why I'm willing to give it everything I have to make sure that we are successful and we win at this pivotal moment, not only to elect the first black woman governor in the history of our country, but to elect one who will stand shoulder to shoulder with the people and not special interests, who will never back down from a fight from doing what's right for Virginians and who knows how to get things done. Well, I know that power begets power is the perfect place to end this conversation between the two of you. That is for sure. I love that so much. Thank you both for joining us. I think this is going to be awesome and inspiring, and we wish you the best of luck on your campaign. Thank you so much. And please go to jennifercarolfoy.com to learn more. Thank you to Jennifer and Ashanti. Next up, Anne Helen Peterson. Just finished A Court of Thorns and Roses and craving another fantasy world to devour? Dipsy's got you. Dive into spicy enemies to lovers' tales or embark on an epic romance between immortal fae and sworn foes. They've got fantasy romance stories perfect for your morning walk, late night, or long bath. Dipsy is an app full of short, spicy audio stories. They bring scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and realistic characters. Discover stories about second chance romances, adventurous vacation flings, and hot and heavy hookups. And there's a growing library of fantasy series with werewolves, Greek gods and goddesses, Regency-era historical fiction, and fairy smut to explore the bounds of your pleasure. New content is released every week, so in between listening to your favorite stories again and again, you can always find something new to explore. For listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to dipseastories.com slash pantsuit. dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. If you're looking for a very quick salon quality, but not salon priced manicure, Olive and Jean has you covered. We've talked about Olive and Jean's Manny system before. It has everything that you need for a professional manicure in one box, salon grade tools, your choice of six polishes. Those polishes are gonna last you for seven days or more. The cost breaks down to about $2 a manicure. Olive and June also has press-ons if you want. What I love though, is that Olive and June each season is coming out with new colors. And I just got a set of spring and summer colors in quick dry polish. And they say this dries in about a minute. It seemed dry to me in about 30 seconds. It was not kidding about being quick dry. I also love the light colors in this set. There is a huge range. My favorite one is called Kitten. It's like a pinkish gray. The quick dry polish gives you full coverage in one or two coats. It lasts for more than five days and it is offered in more than 40 cruelty-free and vegan polishes. Olive and June just understands what's happening in our lives, that we need to move quickly, but we want to look great and feel great and have fun in the process. Visit oliveandjune.com slash pantsuit for 20% off your first system. That's O-L-I-V-E-A-N-D-J-U-N-E dot com slash P-A-N-T-S-U-I-T for 20% off your first Manny system. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. 
Can I get something off my chest? Every day I feel a little pang of sadness. Because I think about Griffin going away to college. Y'all, he's a freshman in high school. This is not healthy or normal. This is why I have it on my list of things to talk to my therapist about. We all carry around these things. Big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us. Therapy is a safe space to get these things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. You gotta get it off your chest. And you can get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash pantsuit today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash pantsuit. So we sat down with Anne Helen Peterson to talk about child care for our infrastructure series. But she had just written a piece for her Substack Culture Studies, which you should all subscribe to, about the politics of Teacher Appreciation Week. And I was in the throes of Teacher Appreciation Week when she wrote this. Beth was, too. And so we definitely wanted to talk to her about that. This is this is peak teacher appreciation time of the year. We know all of you guys, both teachers and parents, and this affects your lives. And listen, the personal is political. So here's our conversation with Anne Helen Peterson about Teacher Appreciation Week. Okay, so let's talk about Teacher Appreciation it's May. It's peak teacher appreciation time. And you wrote about it and you did just the classic AHP treatment and sort of exploded my mind a little bit where you're like, oh, my God, yes, there is all this cultural, excuse me, going on with teacher appreciation. I feel like it's gotten so much bigger. It's just yeah. amplified. Because well, people amplified. feel bad because of COVID. Right. And so it just took this thing that was already messed up and took it to like an 11. Right. So it's the combination of like general devaluation of public education that has been happening over the course of the last 30 years plus covid and like understanding that teachers are demoralized you're like oh what can we do mm-hmm, mm-hmm, <laughs> and mm-hmm. so i the, the the prescriptions that i have seen for what different parents should be doing for teacher appreciation week like the details the style and breadth of <laughs> snacks that are to be provided. <laughs> I love the one you shared the woman. It was like, bring your favorite teacher, her favorite breakfast. And the woman was like, am I supposed to eat all 25 <laughs> of these in one day? <laughs> and yeah, just like there's just so much crap. It's waste, right? But it is yes. appreciation theater in terms of, like, how can we show this appreciation? Well, and also parents who, of course, had an easy, breezy time throughout COVID. Yeah. It was great. No, it was fine and, like, I love uh, Claire Kane Miller, who uh, is writes on gender for the New York Times. She tweeted about the piece and was like, you know, this is a really easy quiz to see who does the mental labor in your house. Uh-huh. Is who, oh, yeah, she did that great piece about on that. Teacher Appreciation Week. Like, who is in charge mm-hmm. of Teacher Appreciation Week? Of course, almost always the woman in the house. Like that's another thing that they have to be thinking about is like, oh, where do I find the outfit that they're supposed to wear to show appreciation? Plus all Mm -hmm. of these doodads, plus like this flower, plus 
handwritten notes, plus a breakfast item, plus a bath bomb, plus spa day, like all of it, all of it is just ridiculous. And I know that stu- like some teachers really do feel appreciated, especially if like your, your love language is receiving gifts. Yes. Oh, you're rolling. You're great. Yeah. But I think a lot of others are like, are you freaking kidding me? Like there, I don't need this many candles. I do not I don't need, need this, this many, many candles, candles. And now it's my job to do this. You know, I heard from some teachers about their different experiences of teacher appreciation week that include things like you have to put up the billboard for your own teacher appreciation. No. Yeah. No. Yeah. Like the billboard in the hall. It's like to happy, appreciate yourself. happy teacher appreciation week to me. More labor, more unpaid labor. And you know, I even think about this with Mother's Day, with any holiday that we have cordoned off to celebrate, and that includes like Black History Month, all these different things. Mm-hmm. What it means is that the status quo does not have room to accommodate or actually appreciate these people in real life. And so we have developed these farces of holidays and appreciation months to try to suggest that we do actually appreciate these people. And it is just so insufficient. And as I know you two appreciate, this is what the money is for. Like, this is what taxes are for. This is what equity is for. This is what the actual work is meant to create scenarios in which you do not have to buy a bath bomb in order to evidence your appreciation. I think that's all really good and true. And where I kind of struggle is like, what is the thing beneath everyone feeling so unappreciated? And if we Mm -hmm. had a more supportive social structure, would we be past that or would we be Mm -hmm. still searching for it? I did a lot of employee appreciation work in my HR days. Yeah. And I discovered that we really did need it as a tool because even people in jobs that pay very well, jobs that pay, frankly, above market for positions, there's never enough money to make people feel really seen and valued for what they do. Yep. And so I had to always have, you know, I would talk about it as like a buffet. Hey, you might think this is really lame, but your coworker over here likes it. Hopefully I've got something on the buffet that you like. You don't have to you don't have to take the whole plate. Like find the thing that that works for you. And if I'm not putting it out here, tell me what it is. But I don't know. It seems like there is something even underneath the economic precarity that we're struggling to feel valued. Totally. Well, we talked about this with Mother's Day. Like, we do need ritual. And you've written Mm -hmm. about this, too. Like, the importance of, like, that ritualistic moment. And it makes sense at the end of the school year, like, to mark it somehow and say, I, like, really appreciate what you've done for my child. Because I think it is sincere appreciation coming from lots of people. It's just we choose consumption over connection. If we can lean into consumption instead of actually doing the vulnerable work of saying, here's how you help my child. And I want you to know that. And I want you to because we feel like, well, we know deep down or consciously, subconsciously, we know like teachers don't get paid enough. And we can't really fix that. We can, but not as individuals. You know what I mean? And so, like, I think there's, like, this real knot of, like, we want a ritual in our lives, and we do want places to, like, make that connection. It's just we've been taught, like, the only way to do that is not either, A, through political action to actually support the system, or, B, through connection instead of consuming. I mean, I, as a former teacher, I have received incredible gestures of appreciation 
particularly from the students themselves, that are meaningful and stick with me still. And so I am not at all saying that like you can't create these gestures of appreciation. And I think that you're totally right that money doesn't fix everything. I think the better framework oftentimes for thinking through what's going on now in particular, but what's been going on for some time, particularly with teachers, is the framework of demoralization. Mm-hmm. And that framework really is instead of thinking about like, oh, you're burnt out or tired, it's more that you do not have access to the infrastructure <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. that makes it possible for you to do your job well. So that might mean that you are incredibly under-resourced. That might mean that you have, like your class size is just too big Big. for you to deal with. It might mean that there is no funding for mental health supports for your students. And so you are functioning essentially as a social worker instead of Mm -hmm. as a teacher. And that I think has really been amplified and accentuated during COVID But teachers have felt that for some time, that they are not, they do not have the tools to do a job, their job, their life's work. You know, many, many teachers, they, this is the most fulfilling thing that they chose to do and love to do, but they can no longer derive that joy and that satisfaction from it because their tools have been taken from them. Yes, I think that's definitely a huge part of what's happening. And you see that choice in so many areas when in in any area you know, be it low-income work, and we've talked about that, or teaching, or early child. When when suddenly you have something in front of you that gives you a choice, you're going to take it. Mm-hmm. And I think that was like the some of the frustration with school reopening. That's people they the frustration people feel about unemployment payments is like when somebody has, if they feel demoralized and all of a sudden they have a choice, they're going to take it, and it might not make sense to you. Yeah, but it's not. It's not for you. It's for Mm -hmm. them. You know, like what I mean, it's not about you. And I think that's what's, you know, so hard. And I think with teachers, especially after COVID, COVID accelerated and exposed so much. And we're all so desperate to say, like, I see it. I see it. I care about it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And we're just trying to find any way to do that. And, it, you know, and it just manifests in all these crazy ways, like my teacher writing a thank you note to my kindergartner for a gift that she knows the kindergartner didn't give her. Right. You know what I mean? Right. Like I just kind of, I kind of want to be like, how about for the first step of cleaning up teacher appreciation week, we write a note that says, please, you do not have to write me a thank yeah. you note, teacher. Please do not perform more labor for this appreciation. And this is why, you know, in my suggestions about ways that you could show appreciation, like writing a note to your kid's teacher that outlines all the, you know, the ways that you really do appreciate the the work that they have done for your kid, but that also doesn't include some like weird passive aggressive thing. Like, I know that he could be working more on this, but like, we appreciated how you did this. Right. Which I think oftentimes seeps in here. Like I have received these sorts of notes, but then also being very explicit because we are bad at this in our, in our country about you do not need to reply And I do not Mm -hmm. expect an acknowledge, like my gift, one of my gifts to you is saying, you do not need to acknowledge this gift. Yes. Um, And I know that that sometimes goes uh, counter to some of the ideas that we've internalized about expressing gratitude for gratitude. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, But it is, it takes an enormous burden off of the recipient to say, I want to, I want to give you all of this praise. And I do not expect labor in return in terms of like you 
mirroring that gratitude back to me. And that is feminine. Like that is a feminization of gra- like gratitude and performance that is so intense on women. We had Diana Butler Bass on the show a long time ago to talk about her book, Gratitude, which is so good. And she talks about like, we have a patronage version of gratitude in our head where I am bestowing this on you and you should be very thankful and send it back up to me. And she was like, that's not what gratitude is. Yep. Gratitude is a flow and you just contribute to it and yep. then it takes off. And like, it's not a transaction. But we do that to each other in so many spaces, especially women, I think. Yes, absolutely. And if they don't respond, you're like, well, that was rude. You're like, well, then why did you you express that gratitude to them if all you (laughs) wanted was them to express it back? Anyway. (laughs) Bless. Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible. And skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin and I have added Ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies. So we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several Ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic and Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online. And we were discussing the fact that I am 43 and she said, I cannot believe how young you look. And I thought, thank you, Ritual, for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. There's not much worse than a dry energy scalp. Also, when you get your hair colored and then it does not last as long as you and your stylist discussed, it could be that unfiltered, mineral-filled water is the culprit. Hard water is a leading cause of damaged hair and dry, irritated skin, and about 85% of the United States uses hard water, filled with dissolved minerals and added chlorine. That's where Canopy's new filtered shower head comes in. Canopy, known for their beauty hacks and reimagined humidifier, has revolutionized the filtered shower head. Dermatologists recommended this unique three-stage filtration system greatly reduces contaminants and odors in your shower water, leaving you with healthy hair and glowing skin. Best of all, the Canopy filtered showerhead is hassle-free. Installation is a breeze. And its unique quick-release filter replacement feature allows for seamless filter replacement unlike any others on the market. Go to getcanopy.co to save $25 on your Canopy filtered showerhead purchase today with Canopy's hassle-free filter subscription. Even better, our listeners can use code PANTSUIT at checkout to save an additional 10% off your Canopy purchase. Hurry, your hair and skin will thank you. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, 
Whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code PODCAST15. Thank you so much to Anne Helen Peterson. Sarah, I wanted to share these two conversations today because I know it's been really heavy around here at Pantsy Politics this week. And I love talking about a governor. I love talking about teachers and education. And so I hope everybody really found a little bit of lightness and some interesting thoughts as we head into the weekend. Beth, what's on your mind outside politics? Spend a lot of time with Instagram this week. And I feel like we've been spending a lot of time thinking about Instagram and talking about what we're doing on Instagram and why we're doing it. And so I thought it would be fun to have a little Instagram check-in here, especially because, Sarah, you've really been upping your Reels game. You've spent a lot of time thinking about this. Listen, Instagram wants the Reels. I want Instagram to stop punishing us in the algorithm. So I have been, like, begrudgingly thinking about Reels at first. But now I'm, like, kind of getting into it, and it is pretty fun. Um, We started doing a lot of play on really fun audio. But the truth is people want to see our faces, which is hard because we live apart. So I thought I'll just just play both roles. So I made a Reel about the struggle to get back to post-pandemic life. It's a series, y'all. It's that's only the first one I made. I've made three. They're going to be coming out over the next few days. I don't want to brag, but I think they're pretty funny and pretty good. My 12-year-old was not impressed. Every time he comes home, I'm like, I made three reels today. And he calls it millennial TikTok, which I think is rude, very rude and discriminatory maybe even, but not exactly wrong. Not exactly. <laughs> listen, and don't call me a geriatric millennial either. Um, so, I, you know, it's really, they are fun to do. I love seeing everybody's comments. I love providing a little lightness. I've, I've have some reels that have lightened my load and made me laugh. And I'm just happy to put more into the stream. And you have been, both of us, but you in particular, have been doing Q&As after the episode. You know, it started, I think, as like, do you have any thoughts about the episode? And it turned into like, what can we help you with? Now, I'm a resource Sherpa, so I love a good rec. I love a good product. I love a good app. But you are the real the real caretaker. You're out there just just taking on people's intense questions on Instagram. I don't know how you do it. Instagram is just a really interesting place because I think something about it feels kind of intimate in certain spaces and like the total opposite of intimate everywhere else. And I don't really know how to figure out which one, you know, why certain certain spaces of Instagram feel more intimate than others. But I definitely feel a huge amount of trust flowing from the people who listen to the podcast and follow us on Instagram. Mm -hmm. And when people who listen to the podcast and follow us on Instagram engage with those question boxes that can pop up in Instagram stories. Now, if you're not on Instagram and you're like, oh, this whole conversation is so annoying, let me just share that Instagram stories are a way for us to interact with y'all as close to live as we can get in the current world, right? Mm -hmm. And it's I think it's a really nice way to kind of come together in community. And I love hearing people's stories and what's going on with them and just getting a sense of what they're thinking about. And I find that doing that once a week or so really helps me better understand, you know, how we can do a better job on the show here. So it's really fun. If you don't if you don't do Instagram, honestly, I think we have one of the coolest spaces there 
to think about the shows, to think about what's going on in life in general, and to connect with other listeners. So we'd, we'd definitely invite you to that space. So you can follow us on Instagram. We also have the Facebook Pantsuit Politics Gathering Place, which is a group of listeners. We are not there a lot, but we have amazing volunteer moderators. So that's a space. There's the Facebook page. There's the Twitter page. There's, of course, our Patreon community because we learn so much from all of you and we make better shows when we are in conversation with this community, when we understand like what your pain points are, what you're thinking about. So we just we value those spaces so, so much. Enough that I, like, uh, did a little show in a reels. I, like, put on costumes. I did a costume change. I threw a piece of paper at my own face, so which you will see in the upcoming reels. <laughs> so, yeah, just check us out on the social media pages. We so appreciate every single email, every single message, every single comment, because this community is living and breathing, and we appreciate all of you so much. So thank you for joining us for another episode of Pantsuit Politics. We will be back in your ears on Tuesday. And until then, keep it nuanced, y'all. Pantsuit Politics is produced by Studio D Podcast Production. Elise Knapp is our managing director. Megan Hart is our community engagement manager. Dante Lima is the composer and performer of our theme music. Our show is listener-supported. Special thanks to our executive producers. Martha Brunitsky. Linda Daniel. Allie Edwards. Janice Elliott. Sarah Greenup. Julie Haller. Helen Handley. Tiffany Hassler. Barry Kaufman. Molly Kors. The Creeps! Lori Ladau. Lily McClure. David McWilliams. Jared Minson. Emily Neasley. Tawny Peterson, Tracy Putoff, Sarah Ralph, Jeremy Sequoia, Karen True, Amy Whited, Joshua Allen, Morgan McHugh, Nicole Berkless, Paula Bremer, and Tim Miller. To support Pantsuit Politics and receive lots of bonus features, visit patreon.com slash pantsuitpolitics. You can also connect with us on our website, pantsuitpoliticsshow.com. Sign up for our weekly newsletter and follow us on Instagram at pantsuitpolitics.